Hey, good morning, everybody. It's good to see you guys. My name is Nate Wagner. I'm one of the pastors here at Portico Church Arlington. It's really good to be with you on a holiday weekend. Hope you're looking forward to the afternoon and the day off tomorrow for many of you. Not everyone. Sorry if you have to work. Enjoy that too. Um, We are continuing in the Ten Commandments. And yeah, I'm tired. (laughs) I don't know if you all are, but I am. Because one of the things that the Ten Commandments does is it holds up God's perfect holy law. And then you start remembering, realizing, bringing to awareness all of the ways that you don't measure up to that. And there's a fatigue that sets in. And one of the reasons that we are doing the Ten Commandments right now is because we are seeking to be continuously renewed by God. And how that happens in the relationship that God has created with us is that we depend on him for grace, for forgiveness of sins, for righteousness. And it's easy to go about your life and just kind of forget about those things. There's a lot of things that kind of fill us up, that distract us, that capture our attention, that are a little bit simpler than thinking about Where do I find my righteousness before a perfect and holy God? We don't naturally think about it all the time. And so what can happen is you just get distracted and you start living your life apart from your dependence on God's grace, and then you're all of a sudden tired in a different way. All of a sudden you feel distant and cold towards God. All of a sudden you realize that you've replaced God with something else. And so how God meets us in his word, but also with his spirit working through the word, is he brings us to his law in order to show us our need of grace. And as soon as we are kind of parched and tired, when we hear the good news of what Jesus has done and that he offers himself freely to us, We're ready to receive that. And all of a sudden, we're brought back to life. We're renewed in the gospel. And so that's why we're doing that, is because that's kind of the theme of our year. We're seeking that renewal to happen over and over again. And that happens through the gospel. And the gospel comes to us when we are confronted with the law. And so that's kind of the theme of this series, is that we are looking at the law and we are remembering, bringing to, to consciousness our need of the gospel. Reminding ourselves that we can't live alone, but we have to depend and rest and receive Christ continuously. And this was really the purpose that God um, had in mind when he gave Israel the Ten Commandments, as Andrew was talking about. This is the context of the Ten Commandments, is that he has selected himself a people group, and he was involved in the history of that people, Israel. But Israel continuously rebelled, and so he disciplined them in a lot of different ways, but he maintained relationship with them. 
And so at this point in Israel's history, they had just been pulled out of Egypt, out of slavery, and God is getting them ready to enter into the promised land, which was kind of the promise, the main promise that God gave to Israel all the way back before they were Israel when it was just Abraham. He said, I will give you a land. I will make a great nation out of you, and I will bless the nations through you. And so as he's getting Israel ready to enter the land, he's showing them, here is the type of people that you are to be, my people. This is what my people look like. And then he gives them these commands. And so we're going to pick that up with verse 15, the eighth commandment. And we're going to read, as we do every week, the preamble to kind of frame this. Because I think a lot of us, we always forget that the relationship is established by God's rescuing work. It's not established by them keeping the commandments. He establishes the relationship in the fact that I am God and that I have saved you. And so you can flip with me or just look up on the screen. We're going to be reading Exodus 20 verses 1 and 2 and then verse 15 as well. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of, the, out of Egypt, out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall not steal. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you meet us in your word. And God, your word knows us. It was your word that created us, that spoke us into existence from nothing, that formed our souls, our hearts, our minds, our bodies. And so, Lord, we are reminded that you know us perfectly. And you don't know us perfectly only before we sinned, but after Lord, you know the depths of our hearts. And so, God, despite our efforts to hide that, to pretend like we're something we're not, to ignore things that we tuck away into the dark recesses of our souls, you don't allow those things to stay there, but you bring them to light. And so, Lord, I ask that one of these areas how we interact with creation and belongings and property. Lord, that this is one of the main areas that you want to speak to. Because you know that what we do with our things, how we view what you have given us or what you haven't given us, it reveals our hearts. And so, Lord, I ask that you would meet us here this morning, that you would show us our hearts, but that you would also show us your heart. Show us how you meet us, how you respond to us, and call us into greater faithfulness in response to what you've done. I ask that you would do all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we are talking about stealing, but really we're talking about money, possessions, materials. We were talking about 
human intimacy last week. Now we're talking about money this week. This is why I'm tired. (laughs) Yeah, we don't want to talk about it. We don't want to think about it even. Just leave me alone. Let me do what I want with my money. That's my heart. I don't want people telling me what to do. Well, yes, you do. And we'll get there. We're going to get to the end of this sermon and realize that we actually really want God to show us his heart for how we use everything that he's given us with. But before then, we have to start with why do we steal? Why do we steal? It's something that is just natural to the human condition. It's universal. Every culture, every person has been impacted, has stolen something, and has had things stolen from them. Especially if you had siblings when you were growing up. All the time. So why do we steal? And then we're going to look at God's response. So... After we talk about why we steal, we are going to understand why we steal in the framework of a relationship of creature and creator, of God who is the creator who has made all things, and of his creatures who steal, who don't trust. And we're going to look at how does God respond to that? What does he do? How does he feel about that? And then finally, we're going to look at what it means to be a redeemed steward. Once you receive what God has done in response to your theft, your greed, we're going to talk about what it means to live from that as a redeemed steward. So let's go back to the garden. We're doing this a lot during this series because in a lot of ways, the Ten Commandments was God trying to introduce the garden back to the wilderness. He was trying to bring in his kingdom into the wilderness area, the wild expanse that was beyond the boundaries of Eden, where God lived with Adam and Eve. God kicked them out, exiled them, protecting the holiness and the sacredness of his presence in his land where he dwelled with his people. And exiled Adam and Eve. And so they're wandering in this vast expanse of the wilderness. And so we're going back to the garden because that's what the Ten Commandments do, is they bring that holiness into our life. And so you see Adam and Eve in the garden, and they are created by God's word. So right now you have two categories. You have creator and you have creature, one who is created. But Adam and Eve aren't just creatures. They are stewards. They are vice regents. They have been tasked by God to oversee his creation. So now we have three categories. We have creator, we have steward, and we have creation. And again, we have to use our imaginations to go back to that point because we just take so much of this for granted. And so a lot of the biblical narrative just kind of like goes over our heads 
and the significance doesn't really land. But we have to think about what it would have been like to have fresh eyes on a newly created world that was not impacted by sin in any ways and that was waiting to be put into order, to be formed, to be filled by these stewards. It was what creation was made for. How beautiful that would have been. How fertile was the soil back then. How willing was creation to cooperate with the stewards that God had put in place. How rich Adam and Eve must have been. They had been given so much. And in all of the giving, God provides them with these different kinds of trees that are growing and bearing different kinds of fruit. And it's a vast diversity of shapes and sizes, of tastes and flavors, different ways that each fruit nourishes and nurtures Adam and Eve. But there was one tree, one out of how many hundreds of thousands of trees that God said, you must not eat of this tree because the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. So Adam and Eve had been given all of these things and one thing God was not giving them. He did not give them. He reserved it. He restricted it. Well, we know the story. But I want you to think about this. The first sin, the very first sin, can be viewed through the lens of a theft. Eve taking something that was not hers to have. Adam taking something that was not his to have. And what that communicates to the God who had given them everything else. And that's exactly why Satan brought that temptation to them. is because he knew that this was getting at the way to completely undermine the relationship that Adam and Eve had with God. By rejecting what he had provided and instead taking what he had restricted. And in so doing, it was a way of saying, we don't trust you. You're holding back something from us. You're holding out And in so doing that, brought in all kinds of infection to their hearts, to the hearts of humanity ever since that time, so that we are now infected with that original sin. We are infected with greed. And this is one of the reasons that greed is so sneaky, it is one of the more pernicious of the sins listed in the Ten Commandments because very rarely will someone ever come to realize that they are being greedy. It's really sneaky. 
Think about this for a moment. We're talking about why we steal right now. We systematically get used to what we have. So you get used to what you have no matter how much you have. And so what is really easy to have happen in that kind of paradigm as you're getting used to it, as you kind of acclimate to the things that you have is exactly what happened to Adam and Eve. You take for granted what you have and you look at what you don't. And then your heart attaches to it. And so there's this progression where it's like you can never actually have enough to satisfy that type of longing because you'll just take it for granted too. You guys have probably had this experience if you've kind of incrementally been going up in income. If you go back 10 years and said to yourself 10 years ago, you're going to be making X amount of money, 10 years ago you would have been like, whoa, that is awesome. I'm going to feel rich. Who feels rich? How many people? We also just have to face the fact that we live in one of the richest areas of human history. There is so much abundance here, but we get used to it. It just starts to feel normal. We feel entitled to it. And another thing, we always see the people that are just a little bit ahead of us in that way. And so our hearts are provoked. We're tempted to steal. When I was working, before I worked for the church, I was working in the Prince William County Adult Detention Center in a jail and specifically working with people who are dealing with substance use issues. And one of the universal issues that we would look at was stealing. And it was, it was a very sobering picture at, of human nature, and also one that I was like, oh, I see myself in this. So this is not, in no way is this me kind of saying like, oh yeah, we're, we're better than this. Look at, like, these prisoners can't keep it together. Um, but it, it was a very telling dynamic. And it's one that I want to talk about a little bit because it goes into this sneakiness and what happens when we steal and why we steal. So as we were talking to... Um, different inmates about why stealing is wrong. We saw the intricate ways that stealing is always justified. Yeah, I know stealing is wrong, but I was stealing for a different reason. So that's where it starts. It's a justified taking of what's not yours. You justify it. And then pretty soon, what happens is that you start seeing the world in a different way. You stop seeing other people. As you live in the habituation of constantly taking from people, you stop seeing the other people and you just see belongings. You just see things. You just see things and you see them as yours. One of the individuals, the specific example that I'm remembering, had taken his neighbor's car. And that's why he was in jail. 
He stole it. He stole his neighbor's car. He just took his neighbor's car. His neighbor got home. He came out with a gun and took his car. And we asked him, well, why did you do that? You're going to get caught with that one. And he's like, because I, I wanted what was mine. I wanted what was mine. His heart wanted it. So it became his. And what happened there, what I realized, was that as you steal, and we all do this in different ways, and we're going to talk about other sides of stealing, how stealing is more than we actually think it is. But what happens is you, you become God, right? And that's what Adam and Eve did. They rejected God's providence. They rejected what God had given them and then became gods themselves to provide for themselves, to take what was not theirs to take. And so in their mind, this is justified. We deserve this. It's mine. I'm going to take it. Any means necessary. And so this is a picture of the obvious category of stealing. But remember, as we are kind of continually learning in the series, is that this is meditative literature. And so this was to be before them and on their minds and on their hearts continuously. And so when you're thinking of, you shall not steal, one of the questions, if you think about it and meditate on it, is like, what should I do? What should I do? If I shouldn't steal, how should I live? And it goes back to that garden. You should live as a steward. That means everything that you have first and foremost, is not yours. It's been given to you. It's been entrusted to you. And it's been entrusted to you with a purpose. And that purpose is to be used for others, to be given to others. Because in that way, as a steward, you are reflecting the image of God. You're reflecting who God is. God is not greedy. He's generous. So he gives, so we should give. So living a life of generous stewardship is what we should be doing. There's a lot of ways we don't do this. Anytime in your mind, in your heart, you believe that something is yours, that you've earned it, and you get to determine what to do with it, you're stealing. Because that is a lie. It's been given to you by God. Even if you worked for it, your salary, you work hard for that. You're not stealing that. Right. But who gave you the strength? Who gave you the job? Who gave you the economy? Who gave you the life situation that you have to then work? Everything comes back to being a gift received by God. And so now, your response should be one of generous stewardship. And so I think we can get pulled into this idea of thinking like, okay, so I understand how this works. 
as a Christian, I need to give some amount of money to God. Okay, that's his money. This is my money. Now I get to live how I want with the rest of it. And that's fundamentally misunderstanding the principle. It's continuing to live as if this is yours, that you own it, and that it's for you. And you've replaced God with yourself. And this is one of the reasons why this sin is so hideous. Why it's so detestable to God is because it has fundamentally, fundamentally replaced God with us. The stewards have usurped the creator. So how does God respond? Well, the first way that God responds is in giving the law. So this is part of his response to sinful humanity that has started stealing, that has stolen from him. And every time anybody steals, it's really a stealing from God. And so he gives humanity his law. It's a reminder. So even this is an act of grace. God coming in to a humanity that, whose hearts have been tainted, who are blind to the various ways that they steal, and he gives them this law. It's like a way of stopping and saying, like, hey, remember, this is what you were made for, to not steal, to not take away from another. Well, we all know that the law, okay, it's good, but Israel kept stealing. Just knowing that they shouldn't do it wasn't enough to keep them from doing it. And God knew that when he gave the law. And so God also, his response, part of his response to theft is to give his son. So God gives his son. Why does God give his son in response to theft? And this is, this is where we learn about who God is in very counterintuitive ways. This is not what we expect from God when we think of how he responds to theft. But it's what he does. He gives his son. It's the most valuable, most cherished, most beautiful thing, person that exists. And God gives his son to a bunch of thieves says, here you go. And that son, of course, is the person, Jesus, who lived in such a way as to fulfill the law. He shows us what it looks like to live a life of not stealing because he was radically generous. Everything that he had, he saw as something to be used for the benefit, for the upbuilding of another person, for the strength of another person. And ultimately, we see God's response in his giving of the Son as the Son gives his life. 
Because God is also just. And he's not going to let sin go unpunished. Because we've all been impacted by theft. And we call out for justice. We want justice. And as God gives his son, he executes perfect justice as the son willingly takes on the punishment for thieves. And so in the son, you see him given as a valuable possession by God. You see him on the cross. But you also see him as the perfect steward. And now, in his giving of the Son, we also see that God gives the Spirit to his people. So it wasn't enough, clearly, that God just gives his Son and shows all of the people who saw Jesus, here is my Son, here is the way to live, here is how I made you to be with me, because we rejected him, we turned our backs on him. And so God also gives his Spirit And he gives us his spirit to awaken us, to remind us of who God is, to reestablish that beautiful, wonderful hierarchy of creator, steward, and creation. And it's only through his spirit that we then receive the gift of his son, that we receive forgiveness for all of the ways that we have abused creation, all of the ways that we have become greedy, all of the ways that we have failed to live for another. And as that happens, we become redeemed stewards. And so we're going to talk about what it looks like to be a redeemed steward, and we're going to look at a few different places in the Bible. And you see this dynamic happen in the church that there is kind of like this reversal. There's a redemption that occurs, and then there's a living out of that redemption. And you see this very beautifully in Ephesians chapter 4. And Ephesians 1 through 3 goes through all of the riches of what God has given to us. So it shows us in detail how God has given us his son, how God has given us his spirit. And then in chapter 4, You get this specific point of address to thieves. And Paul says, let the thief no longer steal. And you see what happens when somebody encounters the gospel of free grace that God has given thieves his son and his spirit to know him, that all of a sudden the thief no longer steals. So Paul says, let the thief no longer steal. Instead, let him work. Why? Not so that he just doesn't steal. No, it's more than that. Let the thief work so that he has something and is ready to share with another in need. And so what happens when we receive what God has done in his son and in his spirit? is that we are remade in his image. And that now we live a life of a redeemed steward, ready to share. Living your entire life, why? To be ready to share. And how beautiful that looks. Well, we're also 
made as ambassadors for Christ. And so this is in 2 Corinthians 5, verses 17 through 20. And you're going to see this similar paradigm at work. It's like when you receive this gift, you're remade. And you become something. And you're entrusted with something. You are a steward again. Therefore, if if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespass against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So this is a very um, explicit passage when it comes to our stewardship of our lives and what it's for. And so here's a question that might upset you, like it upset me. Does your stewardship of your life, of everything that you have, of everything that you are, does it resemble the generosity of God? Could someone take a look at that? All of the secret hiding places of it? And look, oh yeah, that makes sense. It makes sense that they're living that way because they have been given everything by God. They have been reconciled to their creator. It's a hard question. We're not perfect. We're not perfect. Once you come to understand what Jesus has done for you, you go through this long process of sanctification where you're becoming perfect. Even as you are declared righteous, you then become righteous. And that is true of how you handle your finances, of how you handle your time, your relationships. One of the ways that I am feeling the pressure, the good pressure of this, is with our home. And what happens when you have a very popular kindergarten and they go to a neighborhood school is that all of the kindergartners start showing up at your house. Okay. Sitting on the couch, reading. Peaceful Saturday. This always happens on Saturdays. And a little kindergarten boy just walks into our house. <laughs> like, hello. And he just like points to the backyard, Lila. And like in my heart, I'm just like, what is this kid doing? Like, if I did that in parts of areas where my family is from, like the property line is like a half a mile away from the house, and they would come and meet you with a gun. What? And just the heart, my heart being exposed in that moment. What do I care about? Do I care about that little boy? Not in the moment. But 
God meets me in that. The Spirit starts to apply the word and says, no, you are a redeemed steward. So this house that you are living in, it's mine to be used for the good of that little boy. And that is, that's hard. That's messy. So I use that as as an example to just kind of like sympathize with you that probably God is working on you in some way, but that's also a really good thing. Because what it means is that he's interrupting that natural tendency that we have to see what I want and take it. To become hardened to other people. To start viewing everything that we have as things that we've earned and to eliminate God from the equation. Later on in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, Paul says this, You know, Corinthians, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. So a redeemed steward is rich in Christ. A redeemed steward has benefited from the sacrificial giving of the Lord of all. The word, the creator who spoke into existence everything that is and gave us stewardship of that only to have us take and steal it away for ourselves, he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. And as he served us through his life, And through the cross, we, undeserving thieves, became rich. And introduced into that is a pattern of giving. It's a giving out of the abundance of Christ. It's a stewardship that sees generosity as the main component of the stewardship. I think sometimes we fall into a pattern of seeing generosity as just one little piece. And the rest of it we get to use for security, for excitement, for entertainment. But this pattern sees generosity as the controlling decision maker for everything that you have. Because it's how Christ has loved us. It's how Christ has given to us. He became poor for us. And here's what will happen. Once you start kind of stepping into that and realizing what God is doing in that, is that you will realize that this pattern of giving is actually how you were designed. And there's an immense amount of joy in it. There's freedom. Because no longer are you looking to what God has made, but you're looking to him. No longer are you looking to fulfill your own life through the things of this earth, but you are looking to build up others. And as you do that, as you give, your heart is going to break out of the mold 
of materialism, of selfishness, of greed. And it's going to start to form attachments to the things that you give to, to the things that you invest in, to the things that you are sacrificing your life for. And specifically, we've seen this, you all have seen this, because this is maybe a negative sermon, I don't know, I didn't mean it for it to be, but you all have done this, and so I want to remind you of the ways that you've seen that happen in your lives. As you have given to something, you start to love that thing. You start to enjoy everything that they are accomplishing and they are doing. One of the ways that we see this at our church is through how we give to church plants. And we probably don't do a good enough job of communicating that to you guys, sorry, but we give to church plants. We give to smaller churches that are just trying to get off the ground, that are faithfully stewarding the word of God. And they look like they're they're very different, all three of them. We give to three primary church plants. Doxology, whom um, we're closest with, Corpus Christi Anglican, and Emmanuel Baptist. And all three of these little church plants... We're seeing the gospel transform lives. And your giving is attached to that because you are following this pattern of giving. You can celebrate that. And a lot of, so much of this is just unknown, right? We are doing this by faith. We are trusting that God is at work with what we bring to Him, what we offer to Him. But it will be revealed. There will be a day. When Jesus returns, when the stewardship, the redeemed stewardship of the church will be enjoyed perfectly, fully, on that day, our hearts are not going to be grumbling. They're not going to be stingy. We will perfectly resemble God. Until that day comes, though, engage your hearts Ask yourselves those tough questions. Where am I holding on? Where am I protecting? Where am I hiding? Where is my life not living in response to all that I've been given? The riches of Christ that have been poured on me. And trust that God is working on that. He's breaking that down. And he's going to continually encourage you along the way to live as a redeemed steward. Please pray with me. Father, we thank you that, um, that you speak to us, that you speak to us about money, and that you do so in a way, yes, Lord, there is guilt. We feel our sin. We know that we are greedy, probably beyond our ability to even understand. But Lord, that you don't come to us with condemnation. You don't come to us with judgment. But you've given us, you've given us unworthy people, your son, your spirit. You've given us yourself. And so Lord, for all of us here who have received you, I ask that we would live in freedom, that we would know what it's like to follow you in this.
And Lord, I ask that for anyone here who has not received that, who is still trying to depend on what they can do, still trying to depend on their good works, that you would just continue to reveal all of the ways that they fall short of that and all of the ways that you provide in your son. And I ask that they would receive that, that they would receive him, that they would be fed by him and nourished by him. God, we thank you for that gift. We thank you for your generosity, and we ask that you would help us to continue to be people who are generous in response. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.